Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Heidi. Uh, let me pray as we come to think about God's Word. Um, Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your Word tonight, that you would give us hearts that would listen, uh, ears that would hear, and we ask that we would have great hope in what you've promised us in Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, Merry Christmas. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name's Abe. It's great to be here tonight to open the Scriptures with you. And um, I did want to say Merry Christmas. Uh, we're a week out. Can you believe it? That it's next Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and then Monday is Christmas Day. Who feels ready? Put your hands up if you feel ready for Christmas. Not many. Who's bought all their presents? Hands up. Yep, yep, a few people. Who hasn't started? I mean, I've bought one. Um, we, we've actually made it a bit easier this year with my, with my extended family. We actually tend not to do presents anymore. And part of the reason that we, we came to do that is because we became deeply unsatisfied with the gifts that we re- were receiving. Uh, maybe, we're just, maybe we're just not good at giving gifts to each other, but it turns out that every year we do like a secret Santa and you pull out and you'd have to buy, spend $50 on that person. And what we ended up doing was everybody who pulled out like who was to receive a present would text the organizer of the secret Santa who knew who had everyone saying, I would like A, B, C, D... EFG in my $50 gift, and so we were pretty much spending $50 on ourselves. Um, that's, what it, that's what it came down to. Um, and it makes me, makes me think about what we hope for, because I think that my, my family were like, we have everything. We don't need another pointless gift that we're not going to use or some sort of cute little thing that'll sit on our shelf and gather dust, sadly. I, sorry if you like those things. Um, <laughs> But, but as, we, as, we come to our, as we come to our passage today, we live in a very blessed area of the world, right? We've got jobs, we've got safe homes, and it can be hard to look at our passage and think, I so desperately need this, I so desperately want this. But tonight, I hope that as we dig into the passage, that we'll come to see how, how deep our need is for these promises what they actually are and look like, and what will they will look like to be fulfilled. Um, so as, uh, as Heather said earlier, we're in Isaiah 11 and 12. We're ending our four-week series tonight with the hope that God's people have to look forward to. And we'll hear that there's hope for God's people, and that hope is centered around the promise of a king. So we'll hear tonight that the king will turn the kingdom upside down, and the king gathers and unites God's people. Right? The king will turn the kingdom upside down. The king will gather and unite God's people. So firstly, there's hope for God's people because the king will turn the kingdom upside down. The kingdom of Israel is in a pretty bad state. At the start of Isaiah, we read that Israel has abandoned the Lord. They've turned away from him. They've persisted in sin. They've ignored him and gone their own way. And Isaiah describes Israel like a tree that is about to be burned up and cut down to a stump. It's a pretty terrifying image. It's a pretty scary image. Uh, Can you imagine if one day God said, New South Wales, you're going astray. I'm going to burn you like a tree down to its stump. I think we'd be terrified. And it, it it, it comes to my mind, the bushfires of 2019. These are some of the bushfire photos, the aftermath. And you can just see that there's complete devastation. That sort of image comes to mind when we read through, uh, when I read through Isaiah chapter, chapter 1 to 12 and think about the judgment that God says is coming 
on Israel. The image says you'll be gone, there'll be nothing left, total devastation and destruction. Uh, So it's quite a turnaround that suddenly, at the start of our passage in chapter 11, we have this shoot that grows up, this shoot that rises and a branch forms out of the stump. The branch symbolizes a man. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. Where does this man come from? Well, previously the stump was Israel. Now the stump is Jesse, which is interesting. It's a new image to tell us more about the king and what he will be like. And it tells us that Jesse is the stump, meaning that the source of the branch is Jesse. The roots of Jesse is the source. Now, for the original readers, the name Jesse had huge significance because there was a son born to Jesse in the Bible, and that son was called David. He came to be the king of Israel, and he was the best king that Israel ever had. He had a sincerity to his faith. He sought to please God, and David was famously promised by God that a king would come from his line that would rule on the throne and rule his kingdom forever. So God is saying that this guy, this branch, this shoot, this guy is going to be a good king. He will be like the best king that you've ever had. And the next verse tells us more about the king. It tells us the Spirit of God will rest on him. And the word rest is about permanence. The Spirit of God will be on him. Uh, Now, Israel has always been called to listen to God's will, to obey his commands, There were a people rescued by God from slavery in Egypt and they had committed themselves to obeying and following God. And the way that that would work is the prophets would speak to the king and say, King, sire, here is God's will, and they would speak it. Uh, And also the king was to have a printed version of God's law that he was meant to read every single day. Now these two things, the prophets and God's word, were meant to direct the king so that he would be able to honor God and, um, and serve him. But there was a problem, and that was the king's heart. The king could refuse to listen to the prophets, he could refuse to listen to God's word and say, actually, I'm going to do my own thing. And they often did. Many of the kings set up idols for the people to worship, of false gods, and the kings themselves engaged in false worship. Uh, But the king, this king, this promised king to shoot from the stump, he won't be like that, Isaiah says. This king won't ignore God. He won't turn away from God because God's very own spirit will rest on him and direct him so he won't go astray. Right at the source of the king, God will be there. So what will this king be like? He'll be a person of great integrity. He will care about God. His delight will be the fear or the reverence of God. Having the Spirit of God means that this king will be capable of making decisions that directly honor God. So far, we've heard this king will be like a king like David. The king will have the Spirit of God resting on him. And this tells us this king will actually have the tools of the trade, right? The king is meant to lead God's people to follow God, and he'll be able, this king will be able to turn this kingdom upside down and lead them to honor God. And in the next few verses, we see the impact. What impact will this have on the people? What will it be like to live under this king in this turnaround kingdom? Uh, Firstly, there will be justice. There will be justice in the land. This king will judge perfectly. 
And if you can see there, he won't judge by what can be seen or heard, but he will judge by what is right. The poor will be judged righteously, the oppressed will receive justice, and the wicked will receive fair judgment. Now, this is a throwback to Isaiah chapter 1. At this time, God says, your rulers are rebels, friends of thieves. They all love graft and chase after bribes. They do not defend the rights of the fatherless, and the widow's case never comes before them. What's Israel been like? Israel's been a place of injustice where the poor weren't heard, where thieves and rebels were in power and kept, kept securing power for themselves and made sure that justice didn't happen. What will the king do? He'll turn that upside down. He will deliver true justice. He won't judge with his eyes or ears. He'll judge by what is objectively true. He'll be able to know the truth and give justice fairly. And you see there, the poor and oppressed receive justice, the wicked receive fair judgment, fair punishment. So this is one way the kingdom will turn the kingdom around, he will judge fairly. Another way that the kingdom will be turned around is its safety and security. And we see this in verses 6 to 9. Isaiah describes here um, some bizarre animal pairings that we would never imagine, uh, but also children playing with them as well, and there's this real innocence, um, innocence there. Uh, Things we would never imagine seeing, right? Like the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And this this kind of image terrifies me. I wonder whether it frightens you. An image, uh, sorry, an infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. Isn't this image terrifying, right? It makes me anxious just hearing about it. I can almost hear, like, the concerned parents saying, no, don't put your hand in there. Because that's what, like, I can't imagine this scenario without that happening, with the parent going like, no, no. But in this picture, as it's described in the Bible, there's no fear. There's no concerned parents. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's totally, completely normal. Right? There's no fear. There's no concern about danger or things that could harm you. There's complete and total safety and security. How could this happen? How could such a place exist? Uh, Firstly, we've seen the king has brought true justice to the land, as we saw earlier. But also verse 9, which tells us the reason why. He says, none will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain. And here's the why. For... The land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. How much of the sea is filled with water? It's like all of the sea, right? Like it's everything. Um, you, take, you take away some of the sea and it's still like filled with water. There's, the reason there's no fear is because no one will harm anyone because the knowledge of God is completely throughout the whole land. It extends even to the animals, right? The land is full of the knowledge of God. The king has brought everyone in this land to come to know God. Now, let's, let's pause for a minute to consider what would this place actually look like? Can you imagine it? This is a place where the king, the government, truly seeks to know God. 
The king never makes a bad decision. He's not worried about power struggles. He's not worried about political alliance or trying to keep his power going. He's not after wealth. The king has got God's spirit resting on him. He has the wisdom, understanding, and strength of God to lead by conviction. He will perfectly judge. He will give true justice. Imagine, there won't be any more court cases where people are released from prison 20 years later because new evidence absolves them. They won't go to prison in the first place. There won't be any more court or criminal cases where juries are confused about who did what, she said this, he said that, who's really guilty. There won't be any of that. There won't be any injustice or confusion. This is a place of true peace, of true security. No fear of what an animal might do. And, and I, just, I just imagine this image. Women and children would be able to walk in safety at night without fear of anyone harming them. This sounds like an amazing place. It's an incredible place. This king will really turn the kingdom upside down. He will provide much-needed leadership for the people. He will also, uh, we also read that he will draw the people of God together and bring unity. So who will be a part of this kingdom? The king will gather and unite God's people. And the main image used uh, to show that the king will gather is a banner. Isaiah 11 verse 10 says, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Uh, in the days that this was written, banners were most often seen in the military. And what they would do is uh, each person, each individual in the military would have their own symbol, their own um, signa something, um, and they would be um, uh, correlated to a banner, like the banner would have the same insignia on it. And whenever the military traveled from place to place, when it was time to make camp, whoever had the banner for your regiment or wherever it was would put it up and you'd be able to see it and go up oh, that's where that's where i need to go that's where i need to go and make camp so that the so there was order around the camp and this is the same way that this sort of banner idea is used in this passage it's used to draw the people back to their resting place the place where the king rests uh, so the king is the banner himself who is this banner it's the king verse 10 he will stand as a banner drawing people in people will be able to see him and come to him but also in verse 12, he will lift up a banner. He will raise it so that it can be seen. Uh, now, who will the king gather? It will be the people of the nations. Later, it's also called the remnant. The remnant was those who sought God. It's also Judah and Israel. Because when, when uh, Israel was split in two, uh, into two kingdoms, uh, the north was known as Israel and the south was known as Judah. And when Isaiah first prophesies about this, like chapters 1 to 10, uh, 1 to 11, it's actually not long until Israel is defeated by enemy armies and taken away into exile. And, and they're actually pretty much gone forever. They're amalgamated into Assyria. Some come back, but it's never quite the same. Uh, they never really return. Uh, and it's not too long after that 
that Babylon comes down and takes the people of Judah into exile um, and defeats them. So to hear that one day the king will stand as a banner and lift up a banner so that God's people can be brought home is an incredible hope, an incredible comfort for the people about to be taken into captivity. Our passage says that the king will supernaturally dry up waters so that they can walk through. And this means that nothing will stop God's people from returning. So the king will gather, gather his people. He will also unite them. Uh, There's a few lines in our reading that might have struck a chord with recent events in Gaza. Uh, But this passage is actually more about unity and safety than military conquest. Uh, The point is that there will be peace between Ephraim, and Ephraim was another name for northern Israel, and Judah in the south. This passage is saying there'll actually be peace between them and that together they'll extend their territories um, east and west. It doesn't say that they will murder, uh, but it does say they'll extend their territory. They'll have power over their neighbours. Now, these these nations that it's talking about uh, would constantly attack Israel. Uh, And in this passage, it's about peace. It's saying that they won't be attacking Israel anymore. There'll be peace in the land. Uh, So what have we heard about this king? The hope for God's people. We've heard this king will be like David. He will have the spirit of God resting on him. He will give true justice and peace. He will gather his people. He will unite them. It sounds, it sounds really incredible. It sounds amazing. Uh, and I wonder if you've picked who this king is. If you've been around churches for a while, you've probably guessed that it's Jesus. Jesus is the coming king. He comes from David's line. The Spirit of God rests on him. He gives true justice and peace. He exposes people's hearts. His banner that's lifted up is the cross. And he is gathering and uniting people. This passage that we read tonight has been partially fulfilled. And we are a part of the nations being drawn to Jesus through his banner, the cross. And so we are actually included in these amazing promises through Jesus. Jesus says to the, um, to the woman the, the, um, in Samaria, he says, The water I give him... Whoever comes to me, the water I give him will become a well of water, springing up within him for eternal life. And then in chapter 12, we read of this passage, the people being drawn to the king, what will they do? They will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. It's the water that Jesus gives. And what will they say? They will say, I will praise you, Lord, Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have had compassion on me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. On the cross, the banner that Jesus has raised up, Jesus turned turned away God's anger and took it all on himself so that his people could be forgiven and receive salvation and return to him. Now, this passage, uh, chapter 11 and 12, has not been completely fulfilled. It's only been partially fulfilled right now. We, don't, we obviously don't live in a place with complete justice or peace or safety. The knowledge of the Lord is not throughout the whole land. 
But these promises will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. But for now, I wonder what's a proper response to these promises? How do we respond to what God has done and is doing through Jesus? It's praise, isn't it? It's praise. It's a joyful and thankful heart. And it's telling others. That's what chapter 12 is all about. Uh, Let's have a think through some ways that we can do this today. Could be praise, right? Praising God in song, maybe with a bit of extra vigor. Sometimes we can fall in just sort of our singing through the motions. But remember to praise God with your heart as you sing, maybe with a bit more passion. Could be, so that's praise, could be a thankful, joyful heart. Could be this, you sit down tonight and you give thanks for three things. Either you give thanks for three things that Jesus has done or three things that you look forward to about the kingdom. Um, Here's three things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that God sent Jesus. I'm thankful for forgiveness that my sins have been taken away. I'm thankful for safety and peace in the kingdom that we can look forward to. Uh, So that's praise. That's a joyful, thankful heart. And lastly, telling others. Uh, It could be that you tell someone tonight someone here in the building could be that you tell a friend you just say i'm really grateful that jesus is our king and i'm really looking forward to one day when we can see him face to face we've heard tonight that the coming kingdom is so so good the king is like the best king that israel ever had he rules with god's justice and wisdom he brings true peace and safety because the land is full of the knowledge of god He gathers and unites God's people. The right response to these promises is praise, thankful, joyful hearts, and telling others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your wonderful promises in the King that you've given us. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that we would have thankful, and joyful hearts. We ask that you would help us to praise you for what you've done and tell others. We look forward to that day when we will say, we will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with us, your anger has turned away and you have had compassion on us. Indeed, you are our salvation. We will trust in you and not be afraid. May you be our strength and our song because you have become our salvation. Amen.